72% of entrepreneurs are struggling with mental health. Most don't ask for help. Today is the day we change that. Today is the day we prioritize and destigmatize mental health. We are entrepreneurs, visionaries, high achievers, change makers. We defy the odds every single day. We dream the biggest dreams. We fail and fall flat on our faces. We get up and try harder. We believe in our ideas even when everyone around us doubts them. We are driven to find the solutions to the world's biggest problems. We speak because our voice matters. We show up because we make a difference. We share our most vulnerable stories because we know someone can finally find the courage to share theirs. And in our collective sharing, we rise, we heal, and we embody brave visibility. Hey guys, welcome to Brave Visibility. So great to have you guys here. I am joined here with my co-host, amazing Kim Raluna. And today is going to be the day that I get to interview this awesome, badass businesswoman who's just really just created such ripple effect online for the last few years. And I am honored to call her a good friend. She's like my little sister I always wanted but never had. And Kimra, you know, you have such a freaking powerful story. And every time I hear it, I have goosebumps. When we hosted our event together, uh, you know, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I get to like really hear your story. Mm -hmm. And um, I want you to take us back. Like, I want you to take us back to like, Everything, like from the very beginning, you know, from your childhood, all the trauma that you've been through, all the obstacles that you faced. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, um, you know, I and I've mentioned on different, you know, podcasts and and even from stage lots of times about about my childhood and that I wasn't raised in, you know, the typical, you know, little just little happy home. You know, I'm from a place called Nampa, Idaho. Um, it's a small town. It's been growing quite a lot recently, but it's, I come from a small town where, you know, everybody pretty much knew everyone. And, you know, it, growing up in a place like that in general, it can be hard to kind of find your tribe, your peeps, who you connect with, who you relate to. Um, and as a little girl, I, you know, had a bit of an identity crisis, so to speak. I never felt like I fit in with my family. And, because I was born inside of a situation where there was so much abuse, um, physical, mental, mental, emotional, even spiritual abuse, um, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I, I didn't know like who I was going to become. I always felt like, okay, when I grow up, I'm just going to be a nobody, you know, like I didn't, I, everyone hates me, at least so I thought, you know, like I felt really stupid and not smart, um, you know, and when I, I remember the first time I realized that I was being abused and, um, I was in kindergarten and my mom would have to wake up to walk me to school to go to kindergarten. And I, um, was trying to wake her up to take me to school. I was already ready to go. Like I was like, let's go, you know, I got my backpack on. I'm like, you know, ready to head out the door. And my mom was just, being very lazy and didn't want to get up and take me and was, you know, trying to sleep or whatever. And I kept bugging her, right? I kept saying like, please, like, take me, take me. I really want to go. 
And she ended up slapping me. And I was like, fine, I'll just go by myself. And I just stormed out the door. I was like crying and freaking out and just took my backpack. As a five-year-old. I was five. So I stormed out the back door and I went to the neighbor's house because he was a kid who was in my same class and his mom used to walk him to school too. So I went over to his house, you know, I'm knocking on the door and I remember climbing up like the steps because I'm like so tiny. Like, I mean, I'm tiny now, but I was really tiny then. And I remember I climbed up the steps. I, I kind of almost had a crawl up in there, like these steep steps. And I wow. get up there and I knock on the door and this, you know, the woman who was like the mother of this kid that was in my class, you know, looked at me like, kind of like, what the heck is she doing here? And so <laughs> I was like, can you walk me to school today? Because I knew I wasn't supposed to walk all the way there by myself. Right. So I was like, can you walk me to school today? Um, and she's like, yeah, sure. You know, come in, you know, we're still getting ready. You know, he's putting his shoes on where room's ready to go. And so I go mm-hmm. in there and then she sees my face. And so my face was like all red and she looks at me kind of like in horror, you know, and is like, what, what happened? You know? And I said, Oh, it's okay. Okay. It's okay. Okay. I still want to go to school. My mom, my mom hit me, but I want to go to school. And so I wasn't even really upset that I had been hit. And I guess because it was so normal for me. Um, but I wasn't even upset about it. I just, told the woman, like, I want to go to school because that was like what I really wanted to do. I love school and all the other kids and stuff. So she walks me to school or whatever. And she, she told the teacher what had happened. And I don't, I don't really remember what happened after that. Um, but I do know that, you know, I was never taken from my home or any of those sorts of things because the abuse continued for a long time. Um, but that was the first time because I knew that it was child abuse because the woman, she said, she said, no, honey, that's not right. That's child mm. abuse. She literally said the words child abuse. Wow. And I didn't realize that I was being treated different in my home compared to other kids until that moment. But I remember it so clearly, even though I was five, I remember wow. her distinctly saying, no, that's child abuse. And that's when I was like, wait, what does that mean? That's As a little crazy. five-year-old girl. And, you know, things over time, you know, didn't get any better. Um, You know, in school, I ended up being bullied a lot. I was raised by a single mom with five kids, with five kids. And so, you know, it was hard for her to pay bills. There were often times where, um, you know, we didn't have clean clothes. And so I would go to school with dirty clothes and kids would make fun of me all the time uh, for being poor primarily, which I thought was kind of funny because most of the kids were also poor too, but they still had to find a reason to make fun of me, right? Yeah. And I remember when I was in fifth grade, particularly, um, we were super, super poor at the time. I don't even know if my mom was working or anything. And I had these like pink sweatpants that I wore. And um, because I didn't really, all my jeans would be like dirty. So I'd wear like sweatpants that were kind of like my pajamas, I guess, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I ended up wearing this is fourth grade. I was like fourth or fifth grade. And okay. I remember wearing these pink sweatpants and all of these kids were making fun of me because I was wearing these sweatpants like every single day. Like, why are you wearing this every single day? But I couldn't tell them, oh, like we just don't have our water turned on so we can't do laundry, right? Mm. And so I would just say excuses. I'd be like, oh, oh, like I'm in gymnastics. These are like my athletic pants or, you know, like I would just like make up all of these lies and I started turning my whole life into a lie. Mm. I started putting myself like inside of this, imaginary world. Um, 
And it's really kind of crazy because I, I think it was just like a way to protect myself as a kid. Yeah. But I would make up all of these lies and tell all these kids like these crazy, you know, extra, you know, these weird fabricated stories of like what my family life was like. And my mom, she wasn't, she's an artist and a, a painter and a drawer. She's beautiful art. Pretty much the only positive thing I can say about my mom is that she's a great, great artist. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I would tell them, oh, my mom makes thousands of dollars selling these paintings. And like, I would just make up all of this stuff to like, try to pretend that like, I wasn't poor and I wasn't in this abusive situation that I was in. And, um, I remember you never told, you never told anyone during those school years, like elementary school, you never told any of your friends what was going on. No, they, none of them knew because my mom wouldn't really allow kids to come to our house. So a lot Mm -hmm. of kids didn't really see what was happening. It wasn't until what about with your siblings, like my amongst siblings. Guys. Yeah, my siblings. We, yeah, we knew like, geez, you know, mom's acting crazy today, or like we would like try to like do things to like hide from her, and like you know, like um, and my sister and I. That's how come my sister and I got really into music at a very young age because music was an escapism for us. And yeah. when my family would be fighting, like my mom would be fighting with like her, you know, crazy alcoholic boyfriend and, you know, getting in fights with my older brothers. My older brothers were like six, eight years older than me. And so she'd mm-hmm. be screaming matches with them in the middle of the night. Like my sister and I would be in our room singing songs together. So we, yeah, music was just like. So you had your, you had your own little world, you mm-hmm. know, you I, had and I created it. I created lies. And then my music was like my own little planet that I was on, you know? And, um, I remember my, one of my childhood friends, her name's Laura Castaneda. Um, her last name's different now because she's not married, but, and she had, you know, a bunch of sisters and, and I would go to her house all the time, kind of like as a place almost to hide from my family. Like I'd always be like, can I stay the night at your place? You know, like, because like, I just didn't want to be home. And so I was constantly my whole childhood trying to escape home. Um, then when I became a teenager, I found a really good escape from home, which was church. So I started going to church quite a lot. I had already gone as a little kid, but like my mom didn't really go to church. Like my family wasn't like religious, but Mm -hmm. I found other kids to go to church with because I wanted a way to be away from my house, like as much as possible. And, and do something pot like, yeah, because I was like, at least I'll have some friends or things like that. But it doesn't matter. The church kids, they were my friends at church, but then at school, they weren't my friends. At school, they didn't mm. talk to me because like I was like the loser kid, you know? So, um, but it was a way that I could have some sort of sense of community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very, you know, it, I feel like there was just so many of these like little pieces of things that I remember. Like I remember not only traumatized by my own family, but growing up in Idaho, there was a lot of Nazis and racist people. And mm. my family, which I mean, you can't tell by looking at me, but like my grandpa is black, you know, my stepdad is Japanese, like my little brother's dad's like, you know, full blood Native American, you know, with the long hair and the braids and everything. And um, all my cousins are black. Um, my brothers, like their whole family is all half Mexican. So we were a very mixed family. And we had these neo-Nazis who lived around the corner from us. And they terrorized us our entire childhood. Um, And eventually some of them did go to jail for hate crimes. Um, They went to prison for hate crimes. And some of them actually recently got out, which is kind of like scary. Um, But when they would do horrific things, um, one of them, I had this little kitten named Moon, because obviously I love all this Moon stuff, right? So I had this kitten named Moon. 
they had smashed its head with a brick in my driveway. Um, I came oh out God. to go find it in the morning and there's my cat's head smashed. They hung our dog from a tree. Um, they spray painted, you know, N-word lover across our house and swastikas on oh our home. Um, they would get in huge brawls, like with my brothers and my cousins, like in our backyard. And there was one time where they, my sister, my sister and I, and my youngest little brother, he was like a baby at the time. Um, we were all like in my room, like hiding because there was like a brawl happening outside of, in our backyard. And I remember looking through the window and they're screaming all these like racist things at us. And they had thrown these smoke bombs into the house. And my little brother, my sister and I were just like choking and we didn't know where to go because we couldn't go outside because there was all this fighting and stuff. And we ended up like choking and, and, you know, finally police came and like ambulance came to like help me and my sister out. But I still have dreams about that choking sometimes of like, it was just terrifying, you know? So it wasn't like I was just raised in an abusive home. There's also kind of this terror happening outside of all this external stuff. Yeah. I was like, inside of this internal jail almost where I didn't know how to express myself or be out there. And nowadays, you know, you would think, Oh, Kimra is just like an extrovert. Not the case when mm. I was a kid, right? Like I was very quiet, very timid. I was too afraid to even speak up because I thought someone was just going to beat me if I said anything that was on my mind. Yeah. And you know so what just made me crazy. like, I'm just going to say yeah. something. It just yeah. popped in my head when you yeah. shared all this. I think one of the reasons you're so like one of the reasons you have so much empathy now mm-hmm. is because you've been through so much crap. Yeah. You know, like you just know, like you've been through so much mm-hmm. and now you just have like so much compassion and empathy for people who are going through stuff. Cause I mean, that's one of the things you're known with online, right? Yeah. Something happens and you speak out. You're like, this is not fair. Like, you know, something happens to the LGBTQ community and you're like, this is not fair. Something happens to the Jewish community. You're like, this is not fair. Something happens to the Muslim community. This is not fair. And, um, like I love seeing that, you know, because it, it, it just really like, I don't know. It just, it's something we need to see in our leadership like that oneness, like we are one human, you know, race. And I think seeing more of that, especially within the entrepreneurial space is so awesome. So I honor you for that. So thank you. And and I've always been a natural activist. Like um, there's the show, The Simpsons, right? And Mm -hmm. Lisa Simpson, she is like the activist, always rooting for the underdog. Um, And, you know, and I feel like it's something that's natural in me. I feel like I was just meant to speak up for people Mm. because as a kid, I wasn't able to even speak up for myself. And so I think as I kind of evolved through my teenage years, like I really became a person that would stand up for what I believed in and for even for what other people believed in, even if they believe something different than me, I still wanted to make sure that I was really standing up for everyone. And actually it even says on my tattoo across my chest, it says, I will stand. And I got that Uh when I was 18 years old because I believe in standing up for what is right and what is just, and it doesn't matter. People are very different than me. My, my, like, it's just a big part of my purpose here. And I know my experiences as a, as a child are what, are what has brought me into activism and what's made me even a mental health advocate because now I, I, as an adult, I was finally able to start getting, you know, treatment and understanding Mm. what was going on. But 
you know, as a little kid, I didn't even know like what mental health was. I didn't know like, oh, like you should take care of yourself for self-care. Um, and a big thing that ended up happening to me when I was in, when high school, um, for one, I started getting, becoming angry. So it's kind of like I yeah. had these phases where like, as like a little girl, I was very, very, very quiet. Like I didn't really move and I kind of just sat still and I just did what the teacher told me to do. And like, I didn't argue with it, want to argue with anybody. Like I just wanted to fit in. Like I was just like, I just have to fit in with these kids at school. Like, cause I don't like, cause at my home, I didn't fit in. There was too much chaos going on. Um, there was all sorts of abuse. I was um, molested as a little girl. Um, my sister was as well, a younger brother. And so there was just all of this stuff. And then I had all this guilt for like not protecting my siblings. So like if my mom attacked one of my siblings, like I would feel guilty for not helping them. Like it was just, I mean, it was just literal chaos inside of my head. And so as I turned into like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I kind of became angry. Like this was like Kimra's really angry phase where I was just like, screw everybody. I hate all of you. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Like I'm not going to listen to a damn word. Any of these teachers say like, mm. I, I just, I had this moment and the, you were just fed up. You were I just was, like I was all done. these years of like I was, all these years of microaggressions kind yeah. of probably built upon the other. Yeah. Right? I just couldn't tolerate being treated badly anymore. And I was going to tell people like, you are mm. not allowed to treat me this way. Yeah. And I love that. when I was in sixth grade, I was living in this, in this house. I remember the house specifically because it had 50 rose gardens or roses that, that lined the perimeter of the front yard. And wow. that's why I remember it. Cause there's all these rose gardens and my mother started dating a guy and she was never home with us. So basically I became the mother of my younger siblings. I had to bathe them. How old were you? Them. I was maybe 11, 12. And wow. I had to bathe them, cook food for them, you know, make sure that they were dressed for school in the morning. And my mom would come in the mornings and like pick, pick up my little brother to like take him to like a babysitter in the mornings. And then my sister and I would have to like walk to the school bus. But I had to make sure everybody was ready. Plus I had to do my own homework and do all my own stuff on top of that. I mean, it was like insanely stressful. And then my older two brothers, they were like hanging out with gangbangers. There were people with guns coming into our house. There were, you know, older guys who were like older teenagers, like doing sexual things towards me and my sister. I mean, there was just, it was just, wow. it was just, it, it's like, it just never ended. It was like once I thought, because with my mom being gone, like hanging out, like with, you know, who ended up becoming my stepdad and stuff, I was kind of happy. Like I was actually kind of yeah. happy that I was taking care of everybody because then my mom wasn't there to like beat us up. Right. So I was like, yeah. like happy. And so I started what I watched a lot of MTV, right. Cause all music was like my outlet. And this is like when Spice Girls got really big. And I was just yeah. like, Oh my gosh, like who are these badass chicks? They dressed all cool and like, you know, funky. And I was like, who are these chicks? Right. And, um, I remember them, I would watch all their interviews, right. They'd be interviewed mm. by all these people. Cause they were like so huge, right. They were like, you know, the yeah. world's biggest band at the time. Right. Yeah. I remember and it was just chaos. Everyone was so obsessed with the Spice Girls. And I remember listening to them and they're talking about girl power and feminism and like, you know, like women can like achieve anything and like all of this stuff. And I was just like, really? Like that could really happen. Like I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I thought I was going to be stuck in this crap forever. Right. <laughs> and so, um, my mom had called me on the phone, right. It was just like a one, you know, typical evening. She's like, Oh, do the kids eat food? And I was like, 
yeah, you know, I made some hamburger helper for them because obviously what the hell do you cook when you're like, you know, 12, right? So I was like, you know, yeah, I made them some hamburger helper and I, um, and then she had, she was like, okay, great. You know, I'll see you guys in the morning or whatever. And, um, she said, I love you. Bye. And then I just said, okay, bye and hung up. And so she called me back and was like, well, why didn't you say I love you and all sorts of stuff? And I said, well, according to the Spice Girls, you don't really love me. And, you know, according to, I love that. According to the Spice Girls. Yeah. Like I was like, you don't really love me. And actually I need to do like a whole Mm. keynote on just how like the Spice Girls, um, but uh, on how they like changed my life. And in any way, so I had, you know, I had finally stood up for myself. I was like, Mm. the way you're treating me is not love. I see on TV how families love their kids. I see that the Spice Girls are saying like, no, like you deserve better. Mm. And sorry, I'm starting to get really no because yes. I just remember so vividly when it was, you know, it was Ginger Spice literally saying, you know, that like girls deserve the best. They deserve to be treated well. And, and it was just like such a pivotal moment in my life because I really needed to hear that. And I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't hear that message from somebody who, you know, because I looked up to them because I was like, oh my gosh, they're so, these beautiful women, like they're so powerful. They're like taking over the whole whole world. And I feel like if I wouldn't have heard that, I wouldn't have been able to stand up for myself and stand up Mm -hmm. to my mom and say, no, like you are not treating me in in a way that is loving. Yeah. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it and I'm not going to pretend like it's okay, right? Yeah. I, I think that's like so powerful because it's like you took your power back yeah. in a way. Yeah, because, and I had to. I had to. I was yeah. just so done with it and I couldn't tolerate the abuse that I was having from all different people in my life. My brothers were also mm-hmm. abusive to me as well, like, you know, threatening me all the time and like all of this stuff. And so it was like, I just, I had to say something and I, and I just yeah. told my mom, I said, you don't love me. I was like, you physically hurt me and you don't protect me from any of this bad stuff that is happening to me. Yeah. So it was just, like I said, like, it's like every step of the way was just continued chaos. It just like didn't stop. And so, and I was going to church a lot. Can I just pause you for one yeah, second? Go for it. Go for it. You know what I love? Like, I, I just want, first of all, everyone take a deep yeah. breath. The viewers. Yeah. yeah. And I know this could trigger a lot of people out there as well, you know, especially if you've been through something similar, right? Mm -hmm. Something in a situation where you don't feel loved, where you don't feel like you're supported enough, where Mm -hmm. you don't especially get it from the people that everyone expects you to get from, right? Like our Mm -hmm. parents, especially our mothers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I honor you and just send you so much love for sharing this powerful story because the most powerful thing for me when I hear Mm -hmm. you tell this story is how you never, well, I mean, I don't know at that time, but I think eventually in your life, how you never like got stuck in a victimhood. Like you never like, you didn't trap yourself. you like, oh, well, this is how it is. And this is how my mom was. And this is how my life was. And this is how abusive it was. And then kind of use that as an excuse or use it as a crutch. to like not go ahead in life. And I don't mean like just the successful businesses that you have or, you know, the financial success that you've gotten, but I'm talking about like just really living 
Like, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen you, like we ate together, right? We hung out together and I know you and it's, it shows like you've done so much healing, which we're going to mm-hmm. be getting into, right? Yeah. I want to, because yeah. I want, I want all of our viewers and listeners to know that yes, we go through a lot of crap, right? We mm-hmm. each go through some sort of, yeah. you know, some sort of struggle, right? Some yeah. sort of trauma. Yeah. And, I, and I want everyone to never belittle that yeah. because I know personally, and I'm going to be sharing this when you interview yeah. me, right? Yeah. I know like for years, like I kind of belittled, oh, what I've been through is not really a lot. It's not like, you know, kids in like, you know, Iraq or something, you know, it's yeah. not like kids in like, you know, whatever, like Africa starving, you know, yeah. and, and I kind of belittled the stuff that I've been through, yeah. but I think it's important to embrace it yeah. and to own it and to heal it, right? Yeah. So, so I want you to tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, like, who were your supporters? Mm-hmm. You know, who, I mean, there had to be some people who supported you because yeah. you stood up strongly, right? Yeah. And, and you were able to, I'm choking right now, yeah, just yeah. thinking about it, right? You were able to, like, stand up on your own feet mm-hmm. and create amazing stuff. So I want to know that like, and what the healing process was for you, because I want the listeners and the viewers to be able to really take the lessons and also learn from you. Like what were some of the healing strategies for you? Yeah. Like there was several different people in my life. There were a few different, definite friends like growing up. Um, and after like my kind of angry phase was, was going on, I started getting into punk rock, obviously, because punk rock, a lot of the music does have that angry type of energy, um, into it. So it made sense. And one of my older brothers, he was like a punk rocker. And so I started getting into like punk music, which then also increased my activism because punks tend to be, you know, activists. Um, and so I, I started, you know, um, looking for support, you know, and part of that was like in my church, I had a few really great youth pastors who were um, very supportive of me. And one of my youth pastors bought me the book called the seven habits of highly successful teens. And, um, in Idaho, that book became pretty popular because the author, he's a Mormon and in Idaho, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of Mormons. So a lot of the teens were like reading this book and obviously he knew, you know, I couldn't afford it because I'm, you know, poor. I I mean, I just stole things when I was a teenager because I just couldn't afford things. I was like, I need need chapstick and my mom doesn't have $2 to (laughs) give me money. So I'll just steal it from Walmart. Right. So that's a whole other story. Um, but anyways, like I, he had bought me this book. And I went through the book and it had asked, you know, what all my priorities were, you know, mm. and I'm sure most of the kids were like, oh, to like get into this college or, you know, do really great in my volleyball tournament or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and mine was, I had two things that I wrote down. One was I wanted to inspire women and young girls. That was the like, number that. one priority that I wanted to do because I had learned, I, love that. I learned in church, you know, about like missionaries, like how it's important to support the world. I had learned on MTV from seeing Janet Jackson donate millions of dollars to charities. Like I had seen like, like you can help the world. So I really wanted to do something where I can help the world. Um, And we are the, uh, we are the world. We are the children generation, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) yes. I remember, I remember the songs, you know, from Michael Jackson and all these people, you know, and, um, and then um, I, my number, my other priority was to not be anything like my family. Mm. And 
I remember being, and this was, I believe it was 10th grade, if I remember correctly. I remember that book and just being like, I don't think any other kids at my school are writing this in their book, you know, and I, like, you know, cause a lot of other kids had it. Um, and I, I, I knew at that moment that I was going to have to leave Idaho. I mean, I was only mm. in 10th grade, but I knew I was like, I have to get out of here. Like I can't yeah. be in the environment of my family. They're very toxic. They're not happy people. A lot of them mm -hmm. were doing a lot of drug abuse. There was a lot of, you know, sexual, mental, emotional abuse, all sorts of stuff yeah. going on. And I was like, I just don't want to live in this. Right. And, but I didn't know how to get out of it. Right. I still mm. didn't know how. And, um, when I was 17, I started, you know, booking punk shows in Idaho and kind of creating community around there. And there were two punks who were like, who really, 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 um, embraced me and their name is Justin mm. and Lisa. And they were a couple at the time and, um, you know, seeing them and because they were very happy together and I was like, wow, like I can actually have a good relationship. Like, like I yeah. saw how they communicated and connected with each other. And Lisa, she was kind of like my, my punk chick that I looked up to, you know, like mm. she really stood up for what she believed in. Um, she, and she's still now, like she's still like that now. And actually she works for a nonprofit that helps people um, with, uh, with drug addictions and things mm -hmm. and, um, and homelessness and stuff like that. And, um, amazing. and so she's all, so she's always been one of my inspirations. She still is even now, like all these years later. Yes. And, um, and then Justin and Lisa, they moved to, um, Seattle, right? Like two weeks mm -hmm. after I had finished high school and they came, you know, my high school graduation. And then like right after high school, they were moving and I was like, can I come with you? And I literally <laughs> just, had stuff in my backpack and got in a U-Haul with them and left. Wow. And um, I got my first job in Seattle. Like I worked at this place called Dick's Drive-In. And the manager there, his name was Paul. Um, and I'm getting so upset because all these people, it's like sometimes you forget like how yeah. people really changed your life. And I remember like Justin specifically telling me and he was just, and he, he did drink oh, quite a lot at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember him, he was, you know, he'd been drinking and I was, and I was living with him. I was actually sleeping inside of like a little closet because I didn't have like an extra room, but I was just like, I'll just sleep in here. I fit in this big closet, you know, and I yeah. put, like a little mattress down and just like slept in there. And he had told me he'd been drinking and we were just hanging out and he had told me, he was like, Kimber, you can be anything you want to be. Mm. Like you get to choose. Right. And here's this just, you know, this like punk guy just like telling me this, like you can choose camera. Be giving you life want. lessons. Yeah. Life coaching you know? you, yeah. You know, and because like, I just felt like, you know, he was like a brother to me. And, yeah. um, anyway, eventually he did, he did end up, um, passing, passing away. He did end up get, getting like a liver problem and then he started getting healthy and then got like a infection and ended up passing away. Um, so but anyways, um, you know, people like that, it was like, you need people like that. And I feel yes. like that's what makes me want to make sure I'm always telling people those things because yes. you never know what a person has gone through. And if you're the person that says you can be anything you want, want to be, even just smiling at a person, you know, oh, like, for sure. I feel like all those things just make such a huge difference. And I for don't sure. think, I don't think at the time, like, Justin knew how inspirational he was to me or Lisa knew how inspirational they were to me. Like, I don't think they knew that. 
Um, yeah. Can I say something, Kim? Yeah. I just want to add something. You know, I was a professor right before I yeah. became an entrepreneur, before I became a coach. And yeah. one of the reasons, like, I, I never thought I would have become a business owner. Like, I hated yeah. business. You know, yeah. I, I, I thought it was like a slimy, weird thing. Like, I just didn't understand the concept. Yeah. And, and I didn't know about coaching, honestly. But I remember, like, I was really tight with my students. Like, I was so tight with them. And um, I used to teach English, public speaking, you know, Mm -hmm. so like international students, right? And I remember one day, um, I saw one of my students, like, really in a bad mood. Like, he was just not feeling good. And, And I told him, I saw him, I was like, is everything okay? Like, is there anything I can do to make you feel better? Anything. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, Miss Yasmin, I'm okay. And anyway, the next week he comes to me and he comes to my office. I had an mm-hmm. office to myself. And he was like, I just want to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And I've never shared this with anyone. But he was like, you know, that day when you stopped me in the hallway, I was just mm-hmm. like walking by myself. You stopped me and you asked me how I was doing. And you genuinely like stood there and waited for me to respond. Mm-hmm. He said, that was the day I realized that it is worth for me to live. Wow. He said, I was so, so depressed. And I thought nobody cared about me. Yeah. I thought nobody, like I thought no one even noticed me. Yeah. But you always took the time to notice me. And I just want to thank you. Like, wow. and I didn't even know that, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. just... I'm just naturally a people person. I genuinely love people. But you telling that story just literally gave me goosebumps all over because we don't know the Mm -hmm. impact that we have on someone. And I just want to say this for all the coaches, you know, all the healers and all the business owners who are making a great impact out there. Because there's a lot of people in our industry who Mm -hmm. are heart heart-centered people who are really, really like doing this. Yes, they want to have a great lifestyle. Yes, they want to make money and there's nothing wrong with that, but they want to make an impact. They want to make a difference. Yeah. And I just want all of you guys to just take that to heart and say, yes, what I do makes a difference in someone's life. Yeah. Um, and very similar with my first boss that I had. Um, his name was Paul and, you know, he was very just compassionate towards the employees. And there was one employee who ended up with a drug addiction and he ended up, instead of firing him, he ended up sending him to rehab, you know, Mm. and doing his best to help and support him. And just seeing that example, I think of leadership for me was really the first time, because most people have all these like horrible boss stories, right? But he was so incredible and it's really inspired me in my own leadership and how I take care of my team and how I have compassion for them and and Mm. so I've learned so many of these different lessons throughout the years just from people around me um I also had a really amazing choir teacher um like named Mr. Uh, Kierkegaard he was um really 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 incredible and um when I was in eighth grade so this is backtracking a little bit but I was in, no, actually it might've been seventh grade. Um, There were these girls in my choir class making fun of me, right? We were standing outside of the class and they were like talking crap about what I was wearing. And I was wearing like these big baggy clothes because all I had was like hand-me-downs from like my brothers who were like way older than me. So I kind of like 
I dressed like a boy. And I mean, I was kind of having like a little bit of a, a gender crisis at the time too. So I was, <laughs> I like dressed like a boy and I, um, you know, I was just being made fun of by these girls and my choir teacher, he saw them and was just like, what the F, you know, like he got all pissed at them was like, get in the, get in the classroom. I'm like yelling at these kids. Mm. And then we get in the class, we do like our vocal warm ups and stuff. And then he asked me to sing in front of the class by myself. Wow. He like came, he like gave me like a, like some music and he said, you know, told me to come up here and I'm just like, okay, like terrified. And he had me sing in front of the class. And so I, you know, I did the best I could. I was like freaking out and shaking and everything. I did the best <laughs> that I could. And everyone in the class applauded and was like, wow, like you're so great. And like all this sort of stuff. And so he was doing this to like boost my confidence, you know, mm-hmm. because these girls were like being these freaking evil little biatches. And, um, and he told me at that time, he said, dynamite comes in small packages. I love and that. I, and I remember him saying that, um, obviously, because that was a big, important moment in my life. But yes. I remember him saying that. Because, and, you know, like I said, I was still trying to figure out who I was. And, but what I am is I'm like this little tiny petite woman who, who has all these things inside of me. And he knew that it was going to come out at some point. You know, I still mm-hmm. hadn't let everything out yet. I still was in this kind of growing process. And he was such a great teacher. And I feel like, Oftentimes we forget that there's those people in our lives who did say those really amazing things to us or who really were supportive of us. Sometimes we forget that they existed. You know, we just think, oh, everybody was so horrible to us. But even yeah. though, yes, I had a lot of people who were horrible to me, and actually there were even horrible teachers um, that I had, there's always the few that were just like, yes, like that was exactly what I needed to hear. Mm. That was the perfect timing for him to say that to me. I was really trying to come into my own because I mean, when you're in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I mean, you're just like, you're just finding yourself. Yeah. You don't even know who the heck you are. Um, and you know, those were so important for me. Like all of those, you know, different things I just mentioned, there's so many kind of these people that were so important for me. And, um, then I grow up, I, you know, I get out of high school, I start doing punk shows, I start touring with all these punk bands and stuff, which going on tour, man, that'll really let you know, like your own actual problems that you have, you know, when like things that trigger you or things like that, like being in a bus with like, it was like me, the only chick and like six dudes was like, a very massive learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. Like just the way that they communicated with each other and all of these things. Like it was really important for me to, to have those experiences. I feel at a very young age. Um, and, um, but anyways, like you, you, I just had to learn so much at a young age and I'm so glad I was able to travel and get out of Idaho. Um, because Idaho can kind of, kind of suck people in a little bit and a lot of people they just get really comfortable there they don't really get out of their comfort zones and they stay the same for like ever they're like 55 and they're still complaining about the same uh-huh. they complain about when they're 18 you know yeah. and I had to you know I got out of there and that was really I think an important piece I want to talk about because a lot of people were afraid to get away from those toxic people right and yeah. my own family happened to be those toxic people and I've had people say to me you know like why don't you speak to your mother? You know, like you should just forgive her and all this sort of stuff. I said, just because I don't speak to her doesn't mean I haven't forgiven her. Yeah. I Can you tell I, us a little bit about that? Because yeah. you spoke about that in our pre-chats. Yeah. And, so uh, 
I think forgiveness is really so crucial to healing, right? Mm. And when I first started my healing journey, I learned like, you don't only have to forgive others, you have to forgive yourself as well. Yeah. And I started journaling because obviously I had a lot of mommy issues. So I started journaling like a lot about my mother um, and really working through things that I needed to work through. I got into personal development when I met my now former husband, but when I met him, he's the one that introduced me to personal development and was like, oh my gosh, I could change my thoughts and I can change my life. Like this is incredible, mm. right? And Would you say that was the beginning of your healing process? Yes, very much okay. so. Like meeting, okay. my, meeting him was the very beginning of my healing process. And I had actually, because I was in the punk rock industry and I had been raped by someone who um, I had, you know, booked a lot of their shows and wow. who I thought was a friend. Um, and I had been raped at a party that was after um, a concert in LA. And um, I kind of started getting out of that industry. I'm so sorry to hear that. I just want you to know that, like, that means so much that you share because it's something that so many women want to be supported in, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just want to honor you. I just want to take a moment to honor you because that's not easy to just come on video and share. Yeah. It's not. And I'm starting to get more used to it, I think, because a lot of people have been asking me, like, you know, why do you have PTSD and like things like that? Because I have been starting to mention this a lot online. Yeah. And it's just so, it's a compound of a lot of experiences. And the when compound effect. Yes. And when I, when the rape happened, I was so lost, so confused. I had nowhere to go. I had no support system because all of my friends were friends with this person who had done this to me. I had nowhere to turn. He didn't even live in the same state. Why was I even supposed to go to the police? I mean, I didn't, like he was yeah. gone. Where do you go day. for that, right? Yeah, he was literally gone the next day. So I didn't know, really know what to do. And I was really lost. And I was just, you know, hanging out with some of my friends and things. And I ended up meeting my, my husband. And he introduced me to the secrets and um, some of the core things I started learning when I started reading personal development books. Like I read The Power of Your Subconscious Mind and I just started diet. I started reading like all the books. Like I just got obsessed. Yeah. And started You're reading. like, give me all the books. Yeah. I need to learn everything about my mind, right? Because I knew that that was my biggest problem. I was having mm. panic. I was having panic attacks at the time. Um, my mother had just told me that she had cheated on my stepdad, which really terrified me because my two younger siblings he was kind of like the support. He was the one that made the money. So I was like, if he leaves her, like what's going to happen to my siblings? And so I was having panic attacks almost on a daily basis. I had high blood pressure. I was sick all the time. Um, I, I didn't even know how to communicate with people. I was, I mean, I was just all sorts, right? And I met my, you know, my, who then of course was my soon to be husband, but I had met him um, and he introduced me to all of this stuff. But one of the core things that I found out of reading all of the personal development books is forgiveness is the key to everything. Mm. The key to all of the healing is forgiveness. And it's not just healing, like forgiving the other people that may have harmed you or done something to you. Mm -hmm. It's also forgiving yourself. Yeah. And that still, I'm That's still self-compassion, right? Yeah, I'm still working self -compassion. on self-compassion. You know, yeah. I've been doing, I mean, I don't think we ever arrive, right? No, right? I don't think, I don't so think we ever, like, I don't believe in that. Like so many people will say like, cause I, I'm a high performance coach, right? So I yeah. work with people in personal growth. Like it's really life coaching on steroids. Yeah. Um, but like some people will be like, no, I've done enough of that stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't think we can ever do enough of it. Like no. there's never enough personal growth. Like it's a continuous journey 
till our last breath. So yes, I agree. And so anyway, so I started on this forgiveness journey. I started journaling a lot about my mother and my family and my past and, and all the people who had harmed me in my past. And, you know, I didn't have the money to get therapy, like proper therapy. So mm. I became my own therapist in a way. I was really starting to coach myself and work through a lot of things. Um, after, um, and then I became pregnant with my first son, right? And this was by far finding out I was pregnant was the most terrifying moment of my entire life, which yeah. I know sounds crazy, but I was so scared that I would become like my own mother mm. that I was like, I need to have an abortion. I cannot have babies. Like there's no way I could possibly do this. I was yeah. like flipping out. Right. And I had already done about two years of personal development at this point. You think I would have been yeah. like, yeah, you know, I can do this. Like, but no, I was so scared because I was like, her DNA is in me, you know, like, like, I don't know, like people would say like, oh, oh, you know, with parenting, you know, you just follow your instincts. I was like, my instinct is to harm. <laughs> like, that's not a good instinct, you know, like, how do yeah. I get rid of these instincts? Like, how do I? Because do you don't, you haven't seen a role model, right? Like you no, haven't seen haven't someone seen demonstrate. It. Yeah, yeah, it was so scary to me. And, you know, I had been with my husband for about two years at the time when I'd gotten pregnant. And so he was like, no, like, I really want to keep the baby. I feel like we can do this. Like, you know, and so I'm just like, okay, I guess I'm becoming a mom now. Right. And yeah. becoming a parent is like the fast track to like personal development and healing. Like you have, yeah. to, you have to heal. Like, in order to be a great mother, in order to not scream and yell at your kids every day, in order to, yeah. you know, not, you know, try to punish them for no reason, in order to, you know, like, you know, like there was so many things that I had to work through during that pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so it was like an eight month, like, crash course of personal development. I started um, studying more energy healing and Reiki and all these other spiritual practices and connected and with parenting angel, books, angels. Right? Oh, I read like all the parenting books. And yeah, I had not just friend, what to expect when you're expecting. <laughs> no, I was, I, um, and I had a, um, and I started a vegan mommy Facebook group. I started my own support community because I had no support. I was on welfare. Yeah. I was living in my in-laws house. I didn't have a car. I didn't have like any means to like even go get a proper job. Like I was just like, what the heck, you know? And so here I am pregnant on welfare and I'm just like, I'm going to start my own community. So I started a mommy Facebook group and I ended and up, that was like your first official, like, I guess, it, entry it was, into the entrepreneurial space, right? Well, I had already had like a booking agency before. So I booked concerts mm -hmm. before that. But this yeah. was more like, it's like I wasn't even thinking about it as a business. I was just like, mm. I just want to support all these women. And I didn't end up turning it into like a mommy blog until like six years later or something, like way later. Um, yeah. But I, I really just needed a, a space, a community, something where I could talk about what was going on with me um, during the pregnancy because there's all these hormones and all this stuff. And I mean, it was just yeah. like meltdown central for me. Plus I was physically <laughs> ill also. I was just like, it was just craziness. And wow. literally I had saw um, this woman, she was a midwife in training. Her, her name was Tammy Fletcher. So if anybody wants a midwife in Southern California, Tammy Fletcher is her name. She's amazing. And at the time she was just a midwife in training and she she worked with this other midwife and 
she had taught me about like, you know, hypno babies and like learning mm-hmm. doing hypnosis and things like that. Oh my me. gosh. That's the, that's how I delivered all three of my babies too. Yeah, with the hypno babies, right? Yes. Or hypno birthing, you know? Yeah. And that was really like the first part where I was like, wow, like I can really use my mind to, and have power with my mind, mm-hmm. you know? And the labor, and I feel like everybody's like talks about the physical parts of like labor, but really it's a mental battle. Like it is like you are like literally, it's like a brain in a battlefield is like what is going on when you're in labor and especially when you're doing like natural labor. Um, And I ended up in labor for three days because the head midwife at the birth center, I didn't like her. And so when she would come into the room, my cervix would literally close up. (laughs) Like I, this baby was not, I did not want that baby even touched by this woman. Right. And so the midwife in training, she ended up being like my doula and we ended up going to the hospital. And then, you know, I finally have the baby. Right. And I ended up having very severe postpartum depression. My Mm. mother came to visit me when the baby, Oliver, he was maybe five or six weeks old. And Mm -hmm. my mother and my sister came down from Idaho. I was living in California at the time. They came down to visit me. And Mm. seeing my mother just triggered the most severe postpartum depression. It was like, I, I, I didn't feel like my baby loved me. Like I didn't feel like, like the bonding wasn't happening the way I thought it was going to. And I was just, Mm. and even though I lived with my in-laws and they're very supportive and loving, I live with my, you know, my husband was there with me. Like, even though, and we had, I had brother-in-laws that lived there. I had so many people to help me with this Mm -hmm. baby, but it was all in my head. Like all of this stuff was just, especially because you were being reminded when your mom came, right. Of like what it meant not to have that mommy daughter or, you know, mommy and child relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that was probably like the reminder. Yeah. It was very terrifying time in my life because I really didn't know, like, it was like my depression was at like the worst that it had been, but I was trying to be so happy because I had this little baby, you know? And so And a lot of mothers, I think they kind of suffer in silence about postpartum depression because maybe they do have a lot of family support and people will think like, why are you depressed? Like you have your, your mother-in-law is helping you. Like this person shouldn't be depressed. Yeah. And and we never never know what it is that's, that's triggering it. Sometimes it could be hormonal. Sometimes it could be Mm -hmm. just past experiences and childhood. And sometimes the births can be traumatic to me. My birth was really traumatizing to me. Um, And so there was just so much going on. Right. And it took me about 18 months of doing a lot of work to get out of that. I started going on walks every single night and just like talking with my husband about all the ways I was feeling. And he kind of became a a guide for me, you know, like my, 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 even though we're not like married anymore, like, like that time of my life, I was with him for 12 years. Like he was very crucial in my yeah. healing process. And I'm very blessed to have He had, was in your life for a reason. Yeah. Yes. I'm very blessed to have had someone who was patient, I guess. I mean, obviously not patient enough because eventually, you know, we had to end it, but patient while I've been healing, you mm. know, and even still, um, cause we've been co-parenting, he still understands I'm going through so many things. He didn't mm. experience the types of traumas that I experienced in my life. And he's told me so many times, like, you know, like he wishes that he could, you know, take some of that off of me. Yeah. And, you know, like, and it's, and it can be really hard when we don't, when you don't have a support system, but it was yes. so great to have that at that time, especially after my first son and my second son, 
And well, my second son and my third son, I didn't really get the postpartum depression. And mm-hmm. I think it was because I had gone through it already. Yeah. And, and, you know, with my second son, it's like, I felt like I was finally ready to, you know, have a baby properly because after the first yeah. one, like all this healing happened. And then he comes along and it was like, we were just ready to go. Like we, after he was born, we finally got off of welfare. We like finally started like moving forward and having progress with even ourselves, but also, you know, external progress too, you know, getting our own apartment and my husband was able to get a job and I became a stay at home mom. And then, then I started my mommy blog and I started Mm. all the stuff I, you know, started getting into now. Um, But it was really important for me to have amazing people around me. And I feel like if you're someone like, you know, who, who does feel very lonely, oftentimes Mm. just reaching out to the people that we already have connections with, oftentimes they'll say like, yeah, I've been through that too. You Mm. know, they'll validate that, you know, we're not alone. And I I love that, that, you know, our podcast and the, and you know, all the content that Yasmin and I are creating is like, so that we can all see that we're not alone in our journeys when it comes to mental health. Um, eventually I did become diagnosed with several things. I say, Oh, I have all the D's. So, um, I, I, you know, clinically have PTSD, depression, anxiety, OCD, and a bit of a mood disorder. They haven't quite figured out exactly what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I've been diagnosed with all this stuff. Oh, and I'm ADD also. So that's like Mm -hmm. a whole other thing, which can be very difficult to run your business sometimes. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I, I feel like we all have these things and it's mm-hmm. really time in our world where the stigmas are starting to be let go of a little bit and it's yeah. taking its time. It's kind of slow um, because mm-hmm. there's certain, you know, families that'll be like, oh, we don't want the therapist to know all of our problems. And, you know, mm-hmm. like there's all of these just things like, oh, if you take medication. Putting up this persona, right? Like, yeah, Ooh, we want to look nice. Yeah. Everything needs to look perfect. And, you mm-hmm. know, if you take psychiatric medications, like, you know, something is so wrong with you and you shouldn't be doing that. And especially in like the uh, spiritual or health and wellness niche, like they will be like, Oh, you shouldn't take those and stuff. And I'm like, there's like chemical imbalances in my brain, you know, like, like there's things that I need support with. And, and I'm hoping over time, I don't need them. Um, and I, and I'm very much an as needed type of person when it comes to taking medications anyway, because I don't even like taking a Tylenol. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I feel like it's finally time for these things to start dissipating. And when yeah. it came to like all the forgiveness stuff, you know, um, that has always been the core to everything for me. Like that's really mm. my truest way that I show self-love to myself is to forgive myself when say maybe I do have a meltdown and I yell at one of my kids. Forgiving mm. myself for that happen for that happening. Yeah. Asking them to forgive me for that happening and apologizing and and keeping a relationship intact it can be really hard. And luckily, I mean, I've done really well. I don't think I've yelled at the kids in over a year now. So I'm doing like, like that's very good for someone who has PTSD and has experienced trauma. There is a parenting book that's called like how to parent with PTSD, which I'm probably going to end up writing that book. Um, But you know, like there's all of these, you know, experiences that we have that, that trigger us to behave in certain ways 
And sometimes yeah. it's extreme ways. Sometimes it's just subtle type of ways. You know, yeah. I'll see people that have, you know, very like subtle, like OCD about certain things. And I'm like, you do know, like there might be some trauma that's cre- causing you to be that way. There might be some mm-hmm. anxiety. Go and get it checked out. And it's okay, yeah. you know, and I remember when- I was actually just, I love that you're talking yeah. about it because as we're wrapping up, I was going to ask you like the last question that I had in mind for you was if you were to like, if you were, let's say on a major show, right. And you had only like a minute, um, which is really hard for both you and I, yeah. because we both love to talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you had like a very short period, like short time to give some sort of a suggestion to someone who is going, you know, who is having panic attacks, who is going through a very stressful time, who is trying to heal their trauma, what would mm-hmm. it be? And I know that's a packed question. Yeah. So, um, like if you only had one minute to speak to that person, what would you say? I would say look for all of the alternative medicines that can support you. Look for all of the traditional medicines that can support you. Go to multiple therapists and see which one feels the best. Like don't just stick with one. I'm really like right now I'm kind of change, changing my therapist. I feel like kind of outgrown a therapist. Um, coaches are also really great support on top of therapy. Um, I feel like there's a lot of um, people who think just going to a coach is going to be the solution, but oftentimes someone who is a therapist who, you know, that's what they went to school for and became that for a reason. Totally Um, agree. Totally agree. I feel like they're complementary to each other and you kind of need both in a way because oftentimes a therapist will be more of like the talking and that sort of thing. But a coach can also help us then process those things. Mm -hmm. And I was very blessed to kind of coach myself. You know, it's kind of like I had to learn because I, I wasn't able to afford therapy and because when I was on welfare, I was on, you know, like the, the state government, you know, um, medi- um, medical, you know, plan. Yeah. And yeah. they would only send you to therapists that would just like give you your medication, but they wouldn't actually talk with you. Talk to you. Yeah. Therapy. So I, ne- yeah. I wasn't really able to get the proper therapy. So I had to go out and do it myself. So, you know, but nowadays there's so everything is so accessible when it comes to therapy. There's now apps that are therapists, you know, where you can talk to a therapist through an app. So I don't feel there's any excuse to not go and look into what's going on. And it doesn't mean you need to be diagnosed. It doesn't mean it needs to be something like, oh, this is so severe. You need to take medications or something. But it can be where you go out and you look for that support. And then the other part of that would be find the support system around you already. And if there isn't mm. one, create it yourself. If there's not a meetup group for, you know, women who had, you know, experienced traumatic relationships, create Start one. Be the facilitator, you know, yeah. because that's and what that's, I had and to do. I love that you're saying that because that's exactly why we're doing this, right? Yeah. I've had a lot of people come to us, like even when we were announcing, like we're doing this Brave Visibility podcast and we did our event first, right? Mm -hmm. And we're doing this and it's about mental health. It's about showing up bravely. It's about Mm -hmm. being visible even through, you know, the loss or anxiety or, you know, whatever you might be going through in your life. And, and we've had people tell us like, well, you guys are not mental health experts. You guys are not therapists. You're not psychiatrists. And we're like, absolutely not. That's right. We are not but we're mental health advocates and mm-hmm. we want to bring this to the table 
because no one is willing to bring it to the table because they are hard stuff. They are things that are not easy to talk about. Yeah. And we spoke about this. Like sometimes we do podcast interviews. We can't sleep that night. (laughs) You know, it's hard. But the thing is, imagine like when people are listening to this, right? Imagine the effect and the ripple effects. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's really the whole idea, you know? And, and I think with that, we're going to wrap up Kimra. Thank you so much. I just want to honor you. I want to just send you so much love. And I know the audience just appreciates you sharing so vulnerably and just so openly Mm -hmm. because you know that our voice matters. You know that your story will, will, hopefully inspire someone who might be going through a very difficult time and for them to say, you know what? My circumstances don't define me. My mm-hmm. circumstances are not going to determine how far I go in life. And this is not where the story ends, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's really the message that we want to get out there. So any last, any last words that you want to say about everything or about the, the Brave Visibility movement in yeah, general? Yeah, with Brave Visibility, you know, because of all the things I experienced, obviously that makes me very passionate about mental health. You know, um, I'm currently, you know, been going through a divorce for the past two years. You know, that affects my mental health of my kids. That affects my own mental health. That, you know, affects, you know, my ex-husband's mental health. It affects everything when there's a big mm-hmm. change or shifts in our lives. And owning a business and the business starting to have success, that's a big change, you know? And so all of these things start coming up for us. We really start hitting these kind of what some people call like upper limits, but some of those upper limits are actually triggered by mental health things, not just mindset things, but mental health things. And so, you know, in creating, you know, brave visibility, creating the podcast, creating our, you know, our circle our Patreon circle, like, we really want to be able to be the facilitators because I think that there isn't really anyone who's been stepping up and facilitating in this type of manner, um, Mm -hmm. particularly for entrepreneurs and freelancers and like the side hustlers, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, I'm so grateful to be able to have a platform to share my stories and throughout all of the podcast episodes, um, even more of the stories of, from Yasmin and for myself as well about the experiences we've gone through. So I Mm -hmm. really want to encourage everyone to continue listening to the podcast episodes. We have other stories from entrepreneurs. We have, you know, other psychotherapists, neuroscientists, um, you know, hypnotists, addiction specialists, mental health experts, everyone, health experts on all different topics. We are having, you know, people that are going to be talking about like, you know, sex therapists, religious trauma, childhood trauma, trauma, like, I mean, all the types of things across the board. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that, you know, and I know Yasmin as well, we, we wanted to make sure that we create a safe space where these conversations can finally happen. It's time to really destigmatize mental mm-hmm. health because yes, I do have, you know, PTSD and mm-hmm. I, and, and so I'll share a little story. So I know some of you, and we'll wrap up with that. Yes. We'll wrap up with this story. So there, um, there, you know, I, I, you know, obviously, you know, I, I, like I've said, I have PTSD. I have sometimes, you know, different things that will trigger me. And, uh, most recently in the month of March, early March, I had posted that I was going to go to Idaho to visit my sister because it was her 30th birthday. 
And mm-hmm. Idaho is where I was born and raised. That's where all the trauma happened, um, or at least most of it, but like a lot of that happened in Idaho. And, um, you know, going there can be very emotional for me. It can be very hard. And I've only been there now three times in like my entire adult life. Um, once I left, I like, I've been there like three times since then. And, um, you know, I wanted to go visit my sister. So I made a post about that on Facebook. I was like, Hey, if you're in Idaho, like come see me, I'm going to be there, you know, on this weekend, like let's hang out. And that night I ended up having a really horrifying, um, nightmare about an uncle who had molested me. Um, my uncle currently, he is in jail for 30 counts of child pornography. I'm really hoping they will keep him in there forever. Um, and you know, he was someone who, you know, obviously he traumatized me, but he also, um, was molesting my sister and my little brother. And he had told me if he told that he was going to kill me and all this stuff. And, Um, so, you know, like I, and I had a lot of guilt around not speaking up, not saying things. And, and so I ended up having this like horrifying nightmare. Right. And Mm. I'm still obviously working through these things with my therapist and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and I had this horrifying nightmare and I had woke up and in the middle of the night, I couldn't get back to sleep. I sent messages to my clients to let them know Mm. that I was taking a mental health day. And I feel like a lot of people might think like, why would someone want to be coached by me? Why would someone want to work with Mm. me if I have mental health things going on? And the thing is, is everybody has them. Everyone. I have never met a person that doesn't have some sort of mental health thing. Everyone has some sort of a problem, you know? Yeah. It might not necessarily be humans, but we're all humans. We're all living this, you know, in this physical plane. We're all experiencing things, right? And, you know, I, I just want people to know that it is okay to Mm. say, I am having too much anxiety today to work with you client person. Can we reschedule, (laughs) you know? And I did that. I love that. And it wasn't like they thought I was weak. It wasn't like they thought like something was wrong with me. I just Mm. let them know. And I was honest about it. I wasn't I wasn't just hiding it. I wasn't just saying, oh, I just Mm. feel sick or something like that. Like I I was saying, no, I'm taking a mental health day. I had a very severe nightmare and some panicking last night. And I want to be of best service to you. So I don't think today is the best day for us to do this call. Right? Yeah. I actually love the integrity of that. You know, to me, like that's just high integrity. And I honor you for that. And I ended up making a post about this, like, you know, later that day I'd said, you know, I had rescheduled with some of my clients and, you know, um, and I I feel like it's finally time for entrepreneurs Mm. to be talking about these things. You know, obviously you're not comfortable with it. That's okay. But I feel like it, if more coaches and leaders and people who want to have a big impact started talking about these topics, Mm. it's going to bring just a lot of positive change into our industry because it's not just about the mindset pieces. There are other pieces that go even deeper than that. Um, because yes, we do need to have positive, you know, outlook on life. We do need to, you know, you know, write out our goals and really believe that we can do those things. But if we're mm-hmm. not working on our mental health, sometimes that is really the thing that has hold, is holding us back. Yeah. And I want everybody here to know, like, it's okay to be having these things and still be a coach or a guide or a leader. I have never met mm. a leader who doesn't have 
a therapist. They all have therapists. I've never met somebody who is at seven figures who isn't going to therapy actively. Yeah. Who, and I mean, Brene Brown is one of my favorite people and she openly talks about her therapist, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so, so important. So yeah, so I love it. I love it. This is such a great yeah, let's destigmatize all of this and let's all go and really embody that leadership um, because it's just so important for um, the online space and, and even just for any type of entrepreneurs, whether you're a brick and mortar business or whatever, you know, type of business you have. It's and for any high achiever, you know, yeah, because high, high achievers beat themselves up. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and it's okay for us to have things we go through sometimes. It's all right. And so I think that's yeah. the best thing to kind of end it on. Um, yes. And thank you everyone who is listening and supporting us. Please share our podcast with as many people as you can. If you know people who are going through things, please, please share, tag them on our post, follow our Facebook, our Instagram, hit it, you know, join us on Patreon. Um, and go to bravevisibility.com because that's yes. where we have everything, right? Bravevisibility.com. Yes. Yes, go there. Thank you guys. Listen, share, tag people, cry, whatever you got to do. Go do it. (laughs) Yes. Love you guys. Thank you, Kimra. Thank you. Thank you for lending us your ears. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review so we know we're not talking to ourselves. If you love this episode and would like to dive deeper into healing your mind, body, and soul, make sure to check out bravevisibility.com forward slash circle to join our membership. Every month, we'll provide you with new trainings and resources on maintaining a healthy mind and most of all, a safe space to share and grow. Go to bravevisibility.com forward slash circle where you can have full access for $20 a month. Remember to use hashtag bravevisibility when sharing this episode online. Follow us on social media at bravevisibility and catch us on the next episode. Till then, live bravely.